0: If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipalorg slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principle. Today, I am continuing my conversation with Terry Barilla, the Children's Resilience Initiative Director in Walla Walla, Washington, and we're going to have a great conversation about What trauma is and how to support students who are dealing with it, and also a little bit about how to support adults as well. You're going to really enjoy this conversation, and there's a bunch of links to books and things in the show notes, so be sure to check that out and go to transformativeprinciple.org to find that, and then search for Terry Barilla, B A R I L A, and you'll be able to find her resources there. Thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. It means a lot to me that you do. If you've got a school or someone who is struggling with trauma in their community, this is definitely a good thing to share. And we talk a little bit about how any kind of trauma is trauma for kids and we reference an ACEs study that really talks about specific health outcomes for people who have experienced trauma in early childhood. And this, as we talk, we realize that trauma happens to everybody because trauma is the perception of a loss of safety or connection. And so, you know, what may be traumatic to me may not be traumatic to you, but that doesn't make it any less traumatic for me. So really good information. I hope you enjoy this and If you haven't signed up for the Transformative Leadership Summit, please do. It is going to be amazing. We've got fantastic guests, and I'm excited for that to finally come after working on it for months. It's going to be wonderful. Thanks so much for listening. I'd like to change gears a little bit and talk about some of the complaints that we might get with regards to this. And I think that this ties into the safety connection learning and, and taking it all the way back to younger grades and and how we deal with that. One of the things that I hear is that, well, I didn't need this when I was a kid and I had a rough childhood and I turned out just fine. What's your response to to that approach when teachers are resistant because uh, we're making it too soft or too too coddling for the kids?
1: Yeah, and I I actually really got some help early on thinking about that when we were doing a presentation for one of our law enforcement agencies in town. So adult behavior here, not not child behavior. And, And one of the comments was, hey... I've got five of those, and look at me. I did fine. I just don't think they work hard enough yeah. or whatever the comment was. And I, I thought, hmm, well, that that's a good point, point. and I thought about myself. I have a history of ACEs in my family, too, and I did pretty good. So what is there? And, of course, that's the resilience. So I learned to then ask the question, Okay, so you have five aces. Let's talk about support, mentorship, opportunity. Did you have someone that stepped in at a a place where those aces may have been affecting you? And the gentleman said, oh, yeah, my, my basketball coach, if it weren't for my basketball coach, I probably would have dropped out of sixth grade. And it's like, oh, so you had a huge gift of attachment to a caring adult at a critical aspect of your development? Is that what I just heard you say? Well, yeah, I still am in touch with my basketball coach. I said, what if you did not have that one attachment at that point in time? What could your trajectory have been? So it really helped open up his eyes to how many times at key points in his development that somebody stepped in or there was an opportunity that opened a different door. And of course, we're talking about resilience. The number one resilience strategy is attachment to a caring adult. The more caring adult relationships we build into our children's lives, the more likely that they can buffer some of those negative experiences. And that's coming from Bruce Perry, my, my hero national leader on a lot of this trauma work. So what can we do to create more of those environments of caring adults? So I I think your answer to the question is, it's all about those other protective factors is the fancy word for it, but, but those strategies that help a child feel valued, respected and honored, even when they just have had a blow up. And that's what Dr. Folletti, the, the principal of the ACE study, found when he he called it the witnessing phenomenon. When he would witness that patient of his by asking them, how has this affected you as an adult? Whatever he could do to witness them, that's when he found that healing and that hope, because they were witnessed in their humanity and validated for what they had to go through and yet be such a resilient adult.
0: But tell me what that means witnessed in their humanity.
1: Well, rather than, than saying, wow, geez. So you sit there in this domestic violence situation and and you know that your, your partner is an alcoholic. My gosh, why don't you just leave? I mean, that could be one response to a client in in an internist office because of, of the impact of domestic violence on bodily function. Instead, it would be, wow, that you're dealing with a lot. Well, maybe maybe I shouldn't use that example because that's an active example. I was going more from a historical childhood example. I don't know if you can delete that, but uh, <laughs> it, it might be more pertinent to say, how did your family situation of growing up with alcoholism and possibly emotional abuse. How are are you affected by that as an adult when I see that you're parenting your children? Have you been able to work through the impact of that alcoholism as a child in terms of how you're parenting? So there's no punishment or criticism of the history. It's Is there help that I could bring to you? Not Not right here in the 15 minutes I have with you, but Uh, through other resources we could bring to the table. So it's witnessing the value of the effort and the development into adulthood, even with a history of ACEs.
0: Okay. And so extending that to kids then, maybe witnessing the things they have been able to overcome. So, you know, I, let's say I have a student who, who has a single mom who has had multiple partners who have been abusive towards, towards the student, towards the um, mom and others, and maybe talk to that student about how they have been able to overcome those things in the past. If you're talking about those things anyway, which we do in schools, whether we like to or not, how have you been able to overcome those things so that now we can use that to help you continue to overcome? Is that kind of what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, I, I think we're talking about how do we support every student, regardless of the individual circumstances, how do we create that caring, supportive environment, those caring relationships um, in a way that supports that student when, when we're in the school setting. And so that means to me that we really make an effort to not get hung up on the behavior and, and go to the root cause and say, I, I see that you're upset. Let's go to the calm space and give you time to calm. It It's not anything about, don't you know the rules? We can't accept that. It's when we alienate because of the behavior rather than say, I recognize you're upset. Let's help you return to a calmer place where I know you you will remember you're safe we're here to support you and and we're ready to to work with you the shift is how we approach the behavior with a completely different lens yeah and you know what it doesn't even have to be this huge ace story it could be that the child's first pet that he's ever owned is a goldfish And he found the goldfish floating dead in the fishbowl that morning. In that moment, if that's the first death that that child has experienced, that's a huge moment of trauma in that respect of the first exposure to death. So understanding that any perception of that loss of safety and, you know, it literally could be the death of a goldfish if that's the first experience with death.
0: Yeah, you know, I think when we think about kids that are that are struggling, we think of the worst case scenario often, but it can be very little things, and it's easy to forget that. So I appreciate you bringing that up—that a goldfish could be an important part of a, a child's life, and we need to be aware of that.
1: And yeah, you know, I'm glad that came up because I really work to help people understand this isn't just the ten aces; those are the ten that were used in the very prescribed study that has all the health outcomes that came from it. But trauma goes well beyond those 10. And trauma, in fact, is the perception of loss of safety and connection. And a a child with a learning disability coming into school every day when they may be teased or humiliated or labeled, I mean, that's a significant trauma that we sometimes may forget to include because when we get labeled, we begin to feel less than, we feel alienated. So the whole gender identity um, is a huge trauma because when you are told that something's wrong with you and you're alienated from being like us, there you go. You start that separation the the societal separation that ends up with these huge implications. And that's why the word safety, I want to mention that because we typically think of physical safety when we use that word. But I love Sandra Bloom, um, MD, out of Philadelphia, and her work. Safety, she uses four concepts. Certainly there's the physical safety, but there's the psychological safety And many of us can begin to understand that psychological safety. But the other two that I don't think we spend nearly enough time understanding and working with our children on and adults is the moral safety and the social safety. And when we don't feel safe in the room we're asked to enter, because of maybe a learning disability, because of the color of our skin, because of our gender identity, because my cold fish just died, because my grandmother just died, because my mother left last night and I don't know where she is. Those all set the stage for, do we welcome that child into our classroom and help them feel safe? Or do we say, well, obviously you don't belong in this classroom because you can't sit still and focus. And I'm not picking on a teacher, please. That's so important to me. It's about not understanding, because we only now have this material to understand what's going on with those behaviors and those patterns. And when we go to the source to understand our, how our brains work, we no longer get caught up in, in wanting to punish, or shame, or blame, because that doesn't make sense anymore. Not that it ever did, but we move to understanding this child has a need that needs to be addressed right now so that he can return to that sense of safety. I hope that's the theme of this. We're we're talking about educators, but this is the same situation cross-sector, regardless of, you know, who pays your paycheck. We're all doing the best we can but when we understand the A study relative to brain architecture and the impact of protective factors through resilience, we begin to let go that somebody's got to be at fault. You know, somebody's got to be at blame. No, this is about understanding how we work as humans. That's the back to the witness phenomenon thing. When we can just understand this is how we're wired and the more we help connect through relationship, the less need there will ever be to be in the brainstem. Is that Make sense?
0: Yes, that absolutely does. And one of the things that I like about it is recognizing that it's making sure that our students are in a place where they can actually deal with whatever's going on. And it's a, a difficult thing when the principal's office is, by virtue of its name and location, Almost impossible to make a safe place because, you know, even adults come into my office and say, oh, I'm getting called to the principal's office and always make jokes about it. And, you know, it's it's frustrating to me because I want that place to be a place where you go to be respected, appreciated, understood, listened to and all that. And it is incredibly difficult for me to make my office that kind of a place. And I've done a lot of physical things to make it that way. But even still, people will stand outside my door and not come in because it is the principal's office. And those are embedded in their belief system and their culture. And I'm not going to do anything to to change that. I'm just going to let them know that I am a person that they can talk to, that they can be emotionally safe with. And that that's a a difficult thing to teach adults and kids and everybody. And you're right that it's not it's not just about kids, it's it's for others as well, including the adults in my building who have had traumatic experiences. And you know, I need to be sensitive to that as well. One of the uh, complaints that I hear is that this takes too much time and I can't ever get to just teaching because this takes so much time to pay attention, to notice and listen and talk and all that. And I can never, I'm never going to be able to get to my content because I've got so many kids that have these issues. What am I supposed to do now? What's your response to that, Terry?
1: Well, Granted, the, the older the child, you know, the more that all those patterns have been ingrained and it's like the ruts in the snowstorm, you know, you're, you get in that rut. And, of course, it's your default response is are those behaviors because it's what you were you you learned worked. So as you saw with paper tigers, when, when you're already into high school, that's a much different issue Because it's so ingrained, but there they had the health center right next door, literally on the same campus. You just had to walk across the soccer field, and you had folks that could spend more time with you in that moment of upset if a couple minutes of regulating wasn't sufficient. So I think it's unfair to suggest. That every single classroom is going to be able to do that right on the spot, especially the older the child is. Exactly. The will start sooner and earlier. So, for example, we just did some major training with our Head Start team so that we're helping staff right from preschool build in this concept that the more we can create that safe environment, the less likely the child's going to start these patterns or continue the patterns all the way up into high school. So having a calm room, I'm thinking of one of our elementaries that now has a, a beautiful two-room two uh, little suite <laughs> dedicated as the calming room so when the teacher is maybe not able to help that child regulate within a minute or two in the classroom they're invited not not as punishment that's a huge part of this it has to be viewed as i see right now you're not feeling safe let's go to the calming room because teacher jody will help you with your feelings and when teacher Jody sits with that child it's all about wow I see you have these feelings so we're back into that strategy of wow what was going on let me help you identify the feeling to the emotion to the behavior to then learn better regulation better regulatory skills and let's work on that right here with the calm lighting, the soft mood of that room, and when you're feeling ready to, when you feel safe again, let's go back. It has to be in a non-punishment modality, but anywhere we can start to build this in, obviously the sooner the better, but Lincoln relied heavily on the health center to be able to have more time with students that needed more time, and of course they offered the the mental health support services, and and everything else there. So it wasn't only classroom-based, and I think that's part of this. That's the whole concept behind our community-wide initiative is no school can do this alone. We have to build in all of those bridges. The way we call that now, it, it, it may be silly, but we call it My Peace Matters. We actually have a puzzle with our logo that's called the heart of the matter with the safety connection and learning right on this little logo. And we made it into a puzzle and every person owns a piece of that puzzle because we can't create that village without every piece being in that puzzle. And, and so we asked folks to commit to implementing these trauma informed practices because my piece, your piece matters and together, we create that environment, not just in our classrooms, but across the board. So that when that student does encounter a different sector or a different partner, that same validation, recognizing you as a human being, recognizing what's behind the behavior is there.
0: Uh, So Terry, it sounds like this could be something where kids can start taking advantage. And once classwork gets too hard or they don't feel like doing it, they can just start acting out a little bit and say, I need to go calm down and then never be in class. How do we deal with those issues?
1: All I can tell you is from the experience of the teachers that are doing this, that just doesn't happen. As long as you build it in from day one, and it's it's utilized in the way we've talked that it's it's about returning to that safety. It It is not abused. And all I can tell you is the teachers are the one telling us that when it's done well and correctly. And when it's I see that you're not feeling safe, just come right here to our calm zone until you feel safe. Put your sunglasses on. Play with the stress ball or you know relax with the stress ball do what some people even have what they call the egg chair where you can lower that screen and give that child a a minute's privacy to to do the breathing I mean it, it has to be a systematic approach you can't just throw stuff in the room and say there's the calm room I mean it has to be this consolidated understanding again of the of the brain but all I can tell you is the teachers don't see it abused
0: Yeah. And that's been my experience as well, is that kids will take advantage of it when the teacher is not consistent, when the teacher is not serious about it. If the teacher doesn't check back in with the kid, then kids will start to say, oh, I need a break. And then they'll just go take a break. But when the teacher does check in and say, how are you feeling now? And they actually care about the student and how that student is dealing with whatever is going on at that time. That's when kids are they act appropriately. And the reality is, we may not see it, but kids want to be in school and want to be learning because learning is actually an enjoyable activity that also, I believe, builds great resilience when you don't know how to do something and then you learn how to do something and you can be proficient at it, those things are motivating to kids. And when we don't approach it in the right way, that's when it becomes demotivating and uninteresting to them. So it's really important. I
1: agree with you. Every child wants to do well. The problem is when they don't have the skills and they start to fall apart there, how do we, how do we treat that? Do we do it in a punishment mode or we do it in that regulatory mode? How do we bring them together? And again, I know it will be much easier when we implement this from preschool on through because you're going to have much less likelihood of having to have an entire paper tiger's impact at a high school because this will be so mainstreamed and the social-emotional needs of the kids will be more fully um, appreciated and as we understand more about the historical trauma and the epigenetics of how we pass this on we can start to untag the, the epigenetics tells us that we can untag this too so it's it's this overall movement towards understanding what this newer science is helping us learn so that we can be more effective in what we're already trying to do with a compassionate approach. But we, we the adults, have better tools now. It's not that the, the teacher's lacking, it's we have a whole new skill set to learn from. And you're also right to have raised the issue around teachers themselves with, with trauma histories. It's, it's harder for them perhaps to look at, at the landscape if they haven't found peace with their own history. And we know that, I mean, the number one strategy really starts with building adult skills and capabilities to then affect the child's outcomes. It starts with us. We need to make sure that we are able to regulate even in that moment of stress. Because you know what? If we don't, we are modeling the wrong thing. And those mirror neurons, if you guys know about the mirror neurons and how the kids mimic what they see when sometimes we're not even aware of our body language or our stance or that look you know the look and so the more we're aware of our regulatory capacity and build our skill sets it's the thing about the airlines put your own mask on first yep. so all of that goes into this transformative understanding of how our bodies work how our regulatory systems work and if we don't get that help sooner it's going to bite us you know later so it's not meant to criticize teachers it's it would be like the newest curriculum and and you your school doesn't give you that curriculum this is it's not a curriculum but it is the newest information about how our brains work it's about our own emotional hygiene I love that concept of emotional hygiene that one of my favorite books helps us understand. We referenced it earlier. We, children all know how to wash their hands and why we wash our hands and cover our cough. But do most children, do most adults even be able to answer the question? So what are you doing for your emotional hygiene at this moment? And yet that's yeah. what this is about because our emotional hygiene, i.e. our ability to regulate ourselves and to stay present in the moment, like you mentioned with the example with your son, that is what the change agent is.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this podcast is about helping principals transform their schools to be better. So I always like to end with a action request. What is one thing that a principal can do starting this week to be a transformative principal in this regard?
1: Oh, one thing, I would encourage them to dig into the the understanding of of that hardwired response system, to understand kids aren't out to get you. They just don't know how to manage themselves. There's wonderful uh, couple books, if we still enjoy reading, that would be very helpful. One of my favorite right now is called Self-Reg by Stuart Shanker. Another one, the, the emotional hygiene one that I mentioned is by um, Daniel Goleman, who wrote Emotional Intelligence, and that concept of how do we become more aware of our own emotional hygiene that, that is the precursor to even our physical hygiene. I think the message is it starts with understanding that each of us can be that person who starts to look at that lens and say, not what's wrong with this kid, but what has this child experienced? What is his environment? And what action can I take right this moment that would make that a safer environment? How can I create that sense of a safe environment physically and emotionally? And how can I foster connection through relationship?
0: That sounds great, Carrie. Thank you so much for your time. I've got a link to these books and information on how to contact you in the show notes. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today.
1: Let me close with an even simpler sentence. We now know that nurturance, any form of that ability to reach out and connect, nurturance is reparative and restorative. So even a simple gesture of compassion and understanding can start to help repair and rebuild those neural systems because we can change those patterns. And it starts with something as simple as nurturance, which could be that smile instead of that frown. So nurturance is reparative and restorative, and we each know how to do that.
0: Awesome! I think that's our show title for this one. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Jethro.
0: So that idea of nurturance is reparative and restorative is so important for our kids, letting them know that we can nurture them appropriately as adults in their life. A smile, a high five, a handshake. Something that lets them know that they matter, it goes a long way, and it can help no matter what they're going through. So don't pass up the opportunity to say hello, smile at a kid, and make sure they know that they matter to you. Thanks so much for listening to Transformative Principle, and have a great day. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts.